Amen. If you have a Bible, it's a little different than what you see there in the chimes. Open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading several verses here. Verse 15 of chapter 1 down in to verse 10 of chapter 2. And um, as you're opening there, let me just say what a joy it is to get to celebrate Easter with you uh, today. We had a wonderful breakfast downstairs. Thank you to our volunteers and our staff who made that such a wonderful time of fellowship and what a wonderful morning of worship we've had where the majesty and glory of the resurrection is reflected so beautifully. Uh, it's such a neat thing, I think, to go from our Maundy Thursday service where we leave in silence and in darkness and then come here on Easter with this triumphant and majestic worship. Uh, what a picture that is of what Jesus has done for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, I ask you to do something. If you would, this is for me as much as it's for you. Would you please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. That he worked, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and all and you me were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace 
and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Oh God, would you even now open our hearts and minds to hear the good news of the resurrection of the Son of God. God, I pray we'll be changed by what we hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Multiple times over the years, our daughter's 10 now, so for a decade. Um, our oldest is 10. So for a decade, I've seen a scene unfold multiple times. They would skin their knee, or they would get in trouble, or their toy would break, or something would happen that they would be so sad about and so broken by. And I praise God for what our volunteers and Miss Lydia, who's upstairs, do with our kids here at First Baptist Church. They had a little growing well of theology they could draw from. You know, they're starting to learn things from the Bible where they can make sense of the world they live in. And so more than once, they would dip into that little well of theology and try to find an answer for their pain to try to make sense of the brokenness they were experienced. More than once, I've seen little tear-filled eyes look up at me and say, Dad, why in the world did Adam and Eve have to sin in the garden? My toy's broken. Why did Adam and Eve have to sin in the garden? Right? I mean, they do things they're full and well responsible for. They know it's wrong, they know it's a sin, and poor Adam and Eve are still getting beat up for it. <laughs> getting in trouble. Why did Adam and Eve have to sin in the garden? And in so many ways, the question that all of us have on our hearts is that very question. As we look around a broken world, sometimes I'll go to news.google.com if I'm just feeling too happy one day. No, I sometimes we'll go to Google News to try to think through and find sermon illustrations. I'll go there and just think through what's going on, and I'll just scan the headlines. And just this weekend, scanning the headlines, I thought, my goodness, it's Easter and this is all we've got. Just one headline after another of just brokenness, right? It's overwhelming to us. We can see the way the brokenness of the world has broken so many of us in the last several years. That's the question on all of our hearts. Why sin? Why the fall? Why the brokenness of this world? And maybe there's something that's acutely causing you pain this morning. There's something that's weighing on your hearts and you think, how in the world can I go celebrate Easter? In fact, you may be sitting at home right now for that very reason. and watching online because you just couldn't bear with the pain and the hurt in your heart to come and uh, put on your pastels and try to pretend to be happy. Someone makes this argument in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. They talk about how no future glory could be enough to undo the pain that they've had in this life. But I want you to hear the answer that's given in this book by Lewis, the God who's asked this question. He said, son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, 
no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. I want you to know, my friends, that's Easter logic. That's resurrection logic. Because this very morning, we are celebrating something that has already happened that did this very thing. We call Good Friday good not because of what happened at the cross. We call Good Friday good because the glory of the resurrection worked backward to the cross. The glory of the resurrection validated what Jesus did at the cross. The glory of the resurrection worked backward and showed that God was pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. You see, the greatest story ever told reaches its climax with the greatest event in the history of the world. Our champion, our king, the very son of God, was completely broken by this broken world. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He who created the world was crucified by the world. He who has a name that is greater than all of the angels, including the very devil himself, seemed defeated at the cross by Satan and his powers. But the beautiful secret is that he did it on purpose. The beautiful secret is that that glory was intentional. He overcame death by tasting death for us all. He overcame sin by becoming sin on our behalf. He destroyed the work of the devil by allowing the devil to seem to have won. And the glory of the resurrection indeed worked backward to turn even the agony of the cross into the glory of salvation. Like the Bible tells us, He, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame. The story doesn't end at Jesus' death. The greatest story ever told continues to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no more important thing that you'll ever hear in your life, whether you heard it before you could even say it, or whether you've never heard it before, there's no more beautiful and shocking and earth-shattering news than the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was dead and now he's alive. And this morning, I want to show you three reasons why the resurrection is good news. Three reasons why the resurrection is good news. Here's the first. Christ overcame the power of evil in the world. Christ overcame the power of evil in the world. It's true, I've said it already, but it's true. We feel the weight and we feel the darkness of the world around us. We can feel it. It almost feels to be encroaching on us at times. But the good news is Jesus has overcome it. Sometimes we look at the world and we just get over, I don't know, maybe you don't, I do. I get overwhelmed sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if you know this about pastors. Sometimes we can get a little bit of a I need to save everybody complex. I tell our staff a lot. Somebody already died for the church. You don't have to try. But sometimes I look at the world and get so overwhelmed because I want to do more. Right? 
I want to do something to try to make this world right. And while there's no question that as Christians we ought to love and serve our neighbors and try to make the world a better place, the reality is the best thing we can do is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the weakness of what Jesus did at the cross is more powerful than Matt Alexander on his best day. And that's pretty weak, I'll tell you. Here, here, so notice what Paul's doing here. He's, in verse 15, up to the end of chapter 1, he's praying a prayer for the saints there at Ephesus. And he's praying in order that they may know. He's praying that they'll grow in knowledge. And if you take sort of verse 15 and go into 18, you see what he's praying. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that... Verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what might He do? He may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. So, see, I'm telling you the truth. He's praying that they may grow in knowledge, that they may know something. He's praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, uh, verse 18, that you may know. Do you see this? That you may know. So this is what he wants you to know. He's praying you grow in wisdom. He's praying you go in knowledge, not so you can decode a Bible code or not so that you can do this or that, but why is it he wants you to grow in this knowledge? What is it he wants you to know? He wants you to know what is the hope to which God has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance through the saints. He wants you to know the immeasurable greatness, verse 19, of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. He wants you to know about what God's done. And I don't know about you, but when I go to news.google.com, I need a dose, a big dose, of a reminder of the power of God. The power of God. The God, is pow- the God I serve It's powerful. When it seems like the world is broken irreparably, when it seems like all is lost, in fact, on Holy Saturday itself, when Jesus is in the grave, we need a good dose of knowing and remembering that resurrection is coming, that God is powerful. And he's reminding the saints in Ephesus of God's power in verse 20, but he goes on to define that power in verse 21. Not just a generic power, but he, I mean, in verse 20, notice what he says. He's talking about the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he what? When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's what Jesus wants you to know. That's what God wants you to know this morning. He wants you to know about his power. That's my prayer for you, that you would know about God's power that he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's why we bring the drums out on Easter, because we're thinking about God's power on Easter Sunday. We want to feel the weight of the glory of what God did on the first Easter Sunday. But I want you to notice where he goes next. We know that as Christians, we're saved, and he raised Jesus from the dead, and we're thankful for that. But notice what he did. He worked this power and might in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what happened after that resurrection? He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above, the Bible says, all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's talking here about Jesus' defeat of the worldly structure of power, but also when Paul uses this sort of delineation of power, he's often also, and I think he is here, referring to Jesus' defeat of the hierarchy of the angelic order that's fallen through the work of the devil, Satan himself and demons. That's why Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out because through the cross, he defeated everything in this dark and evil world. And he goes on to say here that he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, God's power was at work in the resurrection to overcome a dark and evil world. And we need to know that in the world we live in. All things are under Jesus' feet. And so as you flip through the TV and you find yourself worried about wars and rumors of wars, you remember all things are under His feet. And you turn on the TV and you're worried about this politician or maybe that politician. I won't presume to know, you know, so I want you to come back sometime, right? So we won't start listing any out. But, you know, whatever it is, pick your flavor of what you're upset about. And I want you to, when you start to feel your heart worry and your heart grows sad, I want you to remember he's put all things under his feet. And you hear another story about a friend who seems to have fallen from the faith or their child who seems to have fallen into a a life of destruction through sin. Or you hear this story or that story, all things under his feet. Jesus overcame a dark and evil world. Don't you see how God's broken world has been rescued by Jesus? Our world cares about this world, but the good news is so does God, and so should we. Don't you see how this broken world has been rescued by Jesus? And don't you see how his resurrection gives us hope that this world will be made right? I hope you see it. But I want you to know, second of all, that Christ also overcame the power of evil in our hearts. Christ also overcame the power of evil in our hearts. You see, we don't just see evil in the world. There, there's sort of, it feels like to me there are sort of two types of religious people in the world today. Um, there's one group that tends to care most about the evil in the world. They talk a lot about our public witness, and they talk a lot about redeeming God's world and working the gospel out in the world. And others talk a whole lot, some in this group, talk a whole lot about trying to make sure that we love other people practically. I'm a fan of that, and I think the Bible commands us toward that. But then there's another group of folks that tend to care only about the sin in our hearts, only about our personal sins. But the beauty of the gospel is that it addresses both. And here we recognize and see, sure, there's problems on the TV screen. There's problems on the computer screen. This should bother us and trouble us, but the thing we've got to remember, there's also trouble in the mirror. There's sin on TV, there's sin on the computer, there's sin in the mirror, my friends. We need to think a little bit more about the sin that puts its head on our pillow at night. A little more about the evil in our own hearts. Do you see what the Bible says? The Bible says you are dead in trespasses and sins. 
And not only were you dead in those, that means you weren't able to, to live unto God. You weren't able to be righteous before God. You weren't able to please God in your flesh. So you're dead in your sin. And so you're sort of a slave to your sin. And you walk in those things. And you're just simply sort of going with the flow. One time, when I was a, a child, we had gone to Gatlinburg. And my precious nanny, who's now with the Lord, um, had uh, gone to a bookstore called God's Country in Gatlinburg. God's Country. Christian bookstore. And so my dad and mom and my sister and me had gone somewhere else. We were going to come pick Nanny back up. Well, I guess we had overstayed a little wherever we were. And my father, Chris Alexander, though normally goes perfectly according to the speed limit, <laughs> this day had decided to step on the gas a little more than normal. We got pulled over on the way to God's country and uh, to go get Nanny. <laughs> and uh, the police um, officer came to the window and uh, Dad said, Listen, sir, I was just going with the flow of traffic. I was going with the flow of traffic. Well, it turns out that excuse doesn't work. <laughs> so by the time my dad was rolling up the window and driving off with the cops still standing there, he was yelling out, I'm here in Gatlinburg spending a bunch of money on vacation. I got my mom at God's country. I'm just trying to go pick my mother up. But I want you to know, I'm just going with the flow doesn't work. The Bible says we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and we were walking according to the course of this world. And you might say, I'm just going with the flow of traffic, but my friends, the flow of traffic is going the wrong direction. We have sin in our hearts. We are dead in our sins, following the course of this world. And there's something scary here. The Bible says something else. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's a way the Bible talks about the devil. Following, going the course of this world, and the, and the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we like to watch the news and watch TV and watch Hollywood or whatever boogeyman it is we care about today, and we like to talk about their sin and how they're following the devil and how they're following this world, but what we miss is the fact that apart from God's intervention, we're going the same way. We're just the same. We are no better than anyone else. We do not cluck our tongues because we are only recipients of grace. And apart from God's grace, we are marching in line with the devil, cradle roll Baptist, all the way to someone who was born in some sort of pagan hippie commune somewhere. We are all following the devil the same way apart from God's intervening grace. Do you see what the Bible says? Man, our hearts are dark. The world is dark. There's problems out there, but there's problems in the mirror. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, deserving of God's punishment. But God... But God, is what the Bible says. Not but Matt. Not but Sunday school. Not but grandmama and mama. 
but God. Do you see what the Bible says? But God. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him. My friends, you are dead in sin. And some of you may even be yet. But on Easter Sunday, we don't only celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And on every Lord's Day, we don't only celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But every Lord's Day, for those of you who are in Christ, you celebrate your resurrection from the death of sin. And you're stepping out by faith, by God's grace, into life everlasting in Christ. Do you see what Jesus has done? He, by His grace, has overcome even our sinful hearts. You may have all sorts of strategies to straighten the world out, and you're still dead lost on what to do about you. Well, God's got the plan. God's got the answer. He's so rich in mercy. He's so great in love. And He is willing by grace through faith to make you alive together with Jesus and to take you out of that dead and fallen state and bring you out into the light and glory of Easter Sunday. The light of the resurrection. Would you step there by faith today? That leads us to our last point. Not only has Christ overcome a sinful world, not only does Christ overcome our sinful hearts, but finally, Christ is building a better world than before. I've lost things before, or you know, I've had a shirt or something I love, or a tie, something I love, uh, or whatever else, something I just love and cherish get wrecked or ruined before. Have you? And it's a terrible feeling. It's even worse. It's the most, it's the, the most terrible when it's something sentimental or something irreplaceable, something a parent gave you or a mentor or a friend or a child. And, and so you just feel sick to your stomach when you lose those things. And in so many ways, the anxiety we feel when we see the world as it is is something like that. The sadness we feel when we think about what we've done with the good gift that God's given us. The way that the world God gave us has been ruined by our sin. But I want you to know something this morning. Christ is building a better world than before. Look what he says in verse 7. Do you see this? He says, He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Grace is something we never would have known in Eden. Certainly love, certainly some aspect of mercy, certainly all kinds of beautiful things we could have known in Eden, but that which is most beautiful about God, His grace, giving us what we don't deserve when we deserve it least, we never would have known in Eden. Do you see what God's doing? He's giving us eternal life. He's giving us, verse 8, a gift of salvation. What God is doing by grace through Jesus is better than what we can build for ourselves, even if we had never sinned. Even if we had only done all that God ever told us to do, what we have in Jesus is better. Everything we lost in Adam, we are gaining back more and better through Christ. Do you see what God's doing through the church? 
The Bible says here, we are His workmanship, a new creation created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. In other words, we are no longer united to the old Adam through whom sin came, but we are now united to the second Adam through whom the world is being remade. And God is doing that work not only in the world, but in your very heart. We can't go back to Eden. We can't go back. But we don't want to. Because because of what Jesus has done outside the camp, we're invited to a city whose foundation is built by God that has no end, where Christ, God Himself, is the Son. Do you see what God is doing? We are a new creation through Jesus. I know you're like me. I look around and you look around and we see a broken world. A world crippled by sin. Folks can't get along. Folks can't keep it between the lines. It's broken. Countless ways. There are days when we're going to be, at some point, again this year, hiding in our basements from bad weather. This world's broken. Maybe you're like me, and you look up to the Lord and say, Lord, why in the world did Adam and Eve have to sin? Why? Why did Adam and Eve have to sin? Why do we have this broken world? And then I look in the mirror and I see a broken sinner in the mirror. I lay my head down at night and I go back over all the things I did that day that I regret. You know, man, Matt, one of these days you're going to learn to keep your mouth shut, you know, or whatever you've done that day. I look in the mirror, I see a broken sinner, and I wonder, Matt, why would you ever choose sin over the Lord? But my friends, I want you to know something on this Easter Sunday, 2022. The resurrection speaks a better word to us than the word of condemnation that's spoken by the fall. The, the resurrection speaks a better word to us than the ramifications and the results of the fall. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word to us than the blood of innocent Abel that was shed in the earliest days of the fallen world. You see, the resurrection tells us that despite everything we lost in Adam, we get back what is even better in Christ. The resurrection not only worked backward to Good Friday, but it will work backward from the day when we meet Jesus face to face. I think the resurrection is working backward even now, providing for our groaning bodies and our sinful hearts a glory that never would have or could have been there if we'd all just stayed in Eden. You see and you feel the darkness and the brokenness of this world, and I say to you from the Bible today, Jesus has overcome it. Do you feel the weight and the burden of your sin? Jesus has overcome it. Do you feel the burden of a world that's broken and find yourself longing for a better world? Jesus is building one even now, and by grace through faith today, you can become a new creation, the very workmanship of God, a testimony of the grace of Jesus in the midst of the battlefield of this broken world. Are you ready today by faith to step into the life and the light of the resurrection? Out of the darkness, out of the brokenness, out of the carnage of sin, 
and into the new life that Jesus provides for you by grace through His life, His death, and His resurrection. I hope you will. I hope you will. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, trust in His grace to be saved, I believe today if you'll turn from your sins and repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. I'd love to talk to you or pray with you or right where you are, you can ask Jesus to save you and I believe He will. After this prayer, I I really want to encourage you to do business with the Lord. Second of all, you may be a believer already. You may say, Pastor, I think I've put too much trust in the world, the flesh, and the devil that Jesus has overcome. Uh, I want to turn back toward Him in faith today. You do it right where you are. This altar's open. Or if you need someone to talk to, you know I'll be right down front.